Hello and welcome to The Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. In this last part of my conversation with Hanan, I ask how Islam both motivates and informs her therapy practice. She tells me about the Prophet Muhammad and modeling her therapy after the kind of man he was, filled with unconditional, non-judgmental compassion. She then tells me that the only people who challenge her authority are men, and why she thinks they do, and whether it causes her anger. Then we discuss why Muslims in America specifically need therapy, and conclude with the question of what she wants to do with her life. If you enjoy hanging out in the Room of Lives, consider donating Ether, Dai, or other Ethereum-based coins to abranil.eth. That's A-B-H-R-A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. So, um, does Islam motivate or inform your therapy? Yes. It does both. You know how I talked about Prophet Muhammad? When you learn about who a, what a therapist should be and who a therapist should be and the characteristics that they embody, the Prophet did all of those things and more. There's this concept called, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, unconditional regard. Mm -hmm. So a therapist needs to have unconditional regard because that's where healing happens. And it's basically just having this unconditional, non-judgmental compassion towards the other person where your regard for them is not conditional on what they say or what they do. And that's what the prophet had. And so the more I learn about the type of person he was, I feel the better the therapist I am. And the better I am at working with people and talking to people and dealing with people. Because, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, we talked about how, like, I'm really convincing. Um, and it's not, like, because I'm trying to convince you of anything. But it's because, like, I feel like... The things that I do, I am, like, really embodying what I've learned from the prophet. And so, like, if I'm just confident in, like, oh, this is me trying to be, like, the prophet, then I feel comfortable. And I feel 100% confident in the things that I'm saying. And I feel confident in saying I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Like, I feel confident in being and existing. And so, in this confidence that I have... I have found that a lot of people really trust me. And so when I'm sitting in therapy and someone is looking for answers and I tell them this is coming from this or have you thought of this or yes, that is like valid, your feeling is valid or that doesn't make any sense, explain it to me. They believe that what I'm saying is true. And I think it comes from, I think it comes from just like learning how to be like the prophet. Like, that he's, like, my role model in terms of character. 
Yeah. So yes, it both motivates and informs. <laughs> both. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it is, right? You know how I'm feeling right now? How are you feeling right now? Have you seen the movie Cloud Atlas? I don't think so. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to explain this to you right now. Okay. But I'm just going to make a reference and later on you can... Yeah, maybe it's just like a fun puzzle. Um, there's this person who liberates and almost like, yeah, there is this girl who works at an underground cafe mm -hmm. and she's like a clone. So they were produced for mass consumption. So they are waiters in this underground cafe. But she does have a soul. And at some point she learns a lot about the world. But she is in servitude. She cannot get out. She's just a commodity. But there is this person who comes and knows about her. And he breaks her out of that restaurant. And then he gives her... Ah, oh, this is becoming such a long description. I don't know, I just get so sidetracked. Anyway, eventually, like, this person liberates her and she becomes this pretty fully realized being who starts telling the world about the truth. And this guy who liberated her, it basically became his job to protect her mm -hmm. and make sure that her voice was heard everywhere because a lot of people didn't want that. And uh, so it was... So this automaton or this clone person was called Sonmi451. And 451 is like she is the robot in a series. Mm -hmm. So Sonmi451 was basically broadcasting the truth to the world. Mm -hmm. And this guy was like protecting her mm -hmm. literally with this gun as other people came. And he was just like, no, the broadcast must go on. <laughs> And I kind of feel like I'm interviewing Somi451. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's too... I feel like that's too much. Really? I, thought, I feel like that's too much. Really? Yeah. Does that impact your beliefs? Uh, what do you mean? If I say that I think that you're saying the absolute truth does that make you nervous or anything like that um yes why because i know these things to be true for me given where i am in my life and i know that like maybe what i'm telling you is going to change for me and so it is the absolute truth for me. And so it makes me nervous to know that you feel like it is absolute truth, period. Oh, no, it's not that kind of absolute truth. Okay. What I mean is that you're speaking from the truth. Or okay. what is the absolute truth to you? Okay. Yeah. That makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, but you don't feel nervous about that? No. Okay. Because I'm not, like, BSing you or anything. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Mm. And I think that's all anyone can do. It's it, like just being yeah. authentic. Yeah. 
even if it's Gotham changing. And to, right. And to admit that it's changing. Right. Authenticity doesn't have to be consistent. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of uh, therapy do you do? So, I mean, I do talk therapy. So, sit and talk. But what a really cool thing about psychology is that really at the core of the field is different philosophies of how humans exist. Hmm. And so when you're sitting in a room with a therapist, they're trying to use these different philosophies as tools to help you understand and um, make changes in your life to help you get to where you want to be. And um, the one that I, there's, there's a couple that I really, really like. The first is person-centered which basically is that the client is the center of their experiences. And so their reality is really what matters. Like the focus is on the client. It's not on like, Oh, this client did something really horrible to this person. How is this person feeling? It's very much like I am giving you my attention. I want to understand, like what we're going to try to do is understand how you I, how you define yourself? Yeah, your actual self, your ideal self, um, and your there's a third self. But but it's like helping you understand, helping you understand who you are versus who you want to be, and where do you exist within that. And then. So that's one, and that one is very person-centered, unconditional regard comes in that one as well. The other therapy that I really, really like is interpersonal, which is that the conflicts that occur for you, um, there, it's a, it's a, it's a parallel process to how you, to your conflicts in your life with other people. And so when I'm sitting in therapy, the focus is what is going on between us? Like trying to identify if you did something, how did it make me feel? How can I be honest about that and give you more information about who you are and how you interact with others in the world? And so, you know, if a client is just really boring, how do I say like, you know, I'm finding that like, I'm just losing interest in what you're saying. And I get that you're interested in what you're saying, so there seems to be a disconnect. And so how do we identify if that happens in other places in your life? Do people tend to like doze off? Do you feel unheard by people? Do you feel like you're not really present? Like you're, you don't exist in other people's lives as much as you want to? Like there's some sort of incongruence. And so I really enjoy that therapy a lot because you know how we talked about like the relative values and morals? That's where people start to see that my existence is different than your existence and that I need to understand that you have your own free will and your own life separate from me and your reactions of me can be seen as a reflection of me and can also be seen as just a reflection of you. Does that make sense? Yeah, but earlier you said that everything that happens to you is a reflection of who they are. 
Wait, say that again? You said if, like, oh, that was in a certain context, though. No. Okay, no, you did clarify at that time. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Hmm, okay. And then the other one is multicultural, which is basically really being able to embrace and understand every piece of a person's identity and how it's come together to create you and how that is how you're understanding that and making meaning of that and how that impacts your relationship with the world. Yeah. And so with multicultural, I mean, there's a lot of overlap obviously with all of these, but it's really about like, what is your reality? Um, and what is the, what is the reality that exists outside of you that is coming in conflict that's causing conflict? you so if that's like you know maybe something within my muslim identity like you know discrimination that's what is how i understand my identity and it's coming in conflict with the world and how the world is um, interacting with my identity so those are the ones that i really enjoy yeah okay using are there people who you see that are like way older than you? Oh yeah. The oldest person I've seen was 65, I think. Or maybe like 70. And the youngest person I've seen is five. Okay. So this 65 year old person are generally the older people? Mm-hmm. They don't challenge your authority? You know, the only people who challenge my authority are men. But doesn't have to do with age? No. And you have enough data that you know that yeah. that's the factor? Yeah. Okay. I do. I mean... Yeah. Men are the ones that will hear me and not like listen to anything I say or like, will listen will not hear anything I say. They will be the ones that will I have found that like men for some reason have the privilege of not being aware of their surroundings as much as women do and I think that that's like a socialization thing like women are socialized to like just be more caring what are you thinking wait does this mean like it's like to be aware of your surroundings does it mean to be more like conscientious like okay yeah yeah just like you hmm. you understand that you exist outside of like you're very aware hmm of what how you're doing if affects the things around you and you're empathetic towards it yeah so what does this tell us what does this tell you about men um it i mean it tells me that like 
because men have been in power, like being having power takes away from the privilege of learning like certain things. And so I think that's one of the things that men just don't learn because of their privilege. Because they don't have to. The world caters to them more than it, more than it caters to women. Yeah. And so I think because of that specific quality, um, women are more likely to understand that like truth can come from anybody and uh, men are just not challenged as often and so they just don't take it seriously hmm. like but, women are challenged in their existence yeah so when men often don't take you seriously or don't listen to you does it make you hurt or angry? Um, I mean, the only times when it matters is when it's about, like, making a decision that's greater than myself. So, mm. you know, if I'm working in at the mosque and I'm, like, trying to get a programming and it's, like, the men that are, like, why are you, you know, there's no reason to do that makes me really angry. Because it's, like, okay, all these kids that could be benefiting from this program mm. are now not because of mm. the privilege of one person mm. that really bothers me but again if it's just me i see it as like a shadow self what is it about this person that's stopping them from being able to hear me that's blocking their growth yeah hmm. yeah okay why do muslims need therapy particularly particularly Oh, I think yeah. because we live in, American Muslims, we live in a world, in a country that it's, like, really hard to live in. And so we need therapy to, like, understand the constant trauma that's going on, that's impacting us, right? I mean, just like any other minority group, just like any other minority group needs trauma. But, you know, Muslims have a very specific relationship because of their identity and so it's like you know they need very specific help hmm. but I think I think like the therapy I do quotation marks because I want to say that like therapy doesn't have to be just like going to a mental health therapist I think it can also be going to a religious scholar and just like trying to understand what being Muslim means to you because it's specifically a religious identity so it's about exploring your spirituality and your religious beliefs and your relationship with it oh yeah so there was this paper that you wrote about discrimination that Muslim women face as a result of their solo status. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what about it? And how do you feel about that yourself? So, I came up with that study 
around that time that I told you, you know, I was having chest pain and stuff like that, I actually applied for a grant and I got it. And then I like ran the study and actually, um, I got two papers from that data set. The first one I'm really close to submitting. Wait, you ran the whole study? Like you designed it mm-hmm. and everything? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I came up with the idea, got the grant, made the survey, collected the data, analyzed it, wrote it up. And um, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, having solo status. So I was really curious about like the relationship between um, hijab. So like, I wanted to know like, does wearing a hijab make it better or worse? Like, how does that affect your solo status? Hmm. Um, Which then affects, I mean, how does that affect your, okay. I wanted to know for Muslim women who wear the hijab, does solo status affect their mental, like their levels of paranoia, somatization, and anxiety? Those are the three symptoms that I was really interested in. And the answer is yes. (laughs) So the answer is for Muslim women who wear the hijab, for Muslim women who wear the hijab, um, when they experience a higher level of solo status um, and a higher level of discrimination, they are just more likely to experience um, paranoia, somatization, and anxiety symptoms. But if they experience high discrimination, but they experience low solo status, they experience less of those symptoms. So the idea is that for those people, even if you experience discrimination, if you are around people of the same identity who are Muslim, it like kind of protects you from the effects that discrimination has on your paranoia, anxiety, and somatization. Does that That's putting a lot of interpretations on just like raw data. I mean, like it's the, the moderating mechanism. role, and yeah. so it's like a protective factor. It's the way that it's generally interpreted within social sciences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I was just trying to get up on a another yeah. tangent about talking about the paper, but okay. Yeah, but, so, yeah. but, but, but what's also interesting is that yeah. that is the opposite for people who don't wear the scarf. So if you don't wear a hijab and you're Muslim, being around more Muslims makes it worse for you. What is solo status? <laughs> like, is it just unmarried? Solo status is just like being the only person of you, uh, being the only Muslim in different spaces. Oh. So you have solo status. <laughs> I, I interpreted this. Okay, <laughs> never mind. But I didn't understand that. Okay. Hmm. But you said that you've had a bit of a Muslim community growing up. I have. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have pretty much covered all my questions. Really? Yeah, I have one thing left. What is it? This is the concluding question. Okay. So, what do you want to do with your life? 
I want to help people get closer to the truth. Oh, yeah, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, like, so confident in that, in, in it, that, like, and I'm confident in its, like, ability that I just want people to feel how cool it is. Yeah. yeah. Let's put that in the water supply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or broadcast it. I hope you enjoyed your time today at the Room of Lives. Until next time. Mm-hmm.